0: Hello, and welcome to this week's program. My name is Art Cardos, and we are talking about being All In. The program All In has a lot to do with our commitment to the Word of God and learning more and more each day about God's promises and His covenant that He's made with us in this earth. God has given us tremendous gifts and potential But if we don't use that potential and don't take advantage of the gifts, then he did it, in our case, for nothing. So in All In, we like to talk about it. On last week's show, we talked a lot about how God is just changing and transforming us through his word. Right now, I'd like to start out talking a little bit about how we can... uh, Really understand that God wants us gone. He's gone out of his way for us to prosper in every area of life. I know that that's sometimes hard for people to grasp. But here on Psalm 115, uh, in verse 16, it starts, and uh, I'll just read from 16 to 18. It says, the heavens are the Lord's heavens but the earth he has given to the children of men. The dead praise the Lord, neither any who go down in silence, but we will bless affectionately and gratefully praise the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So right here it says the heavens are the Lord's, but he, the earth he has given to his children and men. You now, last week's program, we talked about how God gave everything to Adam, and Adam turned it over to Lucifer, and Lucifer took advantage of it. But he can't do anything in this earth without using a man or a woman, getting the man or woman to speak on his behalf, to act on his behalf. The one thing Lucifer does not have is the glory of God. He doesn't have that. He understands how the system works, how the kingdom works, but he doesn't have the glory. The glory is available to each one of us, and God made it absolutely available through the Holy Spirit and through his son Jesus. So we have to think about how we can take advantage of that glory and use it for what we want and what we need as God directs us not to allow Lucifer to use us to be our own worst enemy. That's very important. You don't want to be your own worst enemy. So, in Habakkuk 2.4, it says, Look at the proud. His soul is not straight or right within him, but the rigidly just and the uncompromisingly righteous man shall live by his faith, and in his faithfulness and context. So, so he's telling us not to live by being proud. Like, we don't walk around flaunting who we are in Christ, but we walk around by faith knowing who we are in Christ, knowing what faith can do for us. Uh, the just shall live by faith is what we're told. In Romans 1.17 For in the gospel of righteousness, which God describes, is revealed both springing forth from faith and leading to faith, disclosed through the way of faith that arouses to more faith. As it is written, the man who through faith is just and upright shall live and shall live by faith. You've got to live by faith. So you say, well, what is faith? Because it's not just going to church on Sunday. It's not just saying, yeah, I believe there's a God, but it's actually activating an element inside of each one of us called faith. In Galatians 3:11, it says, now it is evident that no person is justified or declared righteous and brought into right standing with God through the law. You can't do it through the law. You could say, you know, God brought the law, the commandments, and with the law, came the ability to break the law. So without the law, there was no breaking of the law. But when man broke the law, he knew he was out of sync with God. And therefore, how does he get right with God? But he can't do it by keeping the law. Even if you kept every single part of God's laws, you're still not going to be 100% right standing with God because there's some sin in you somewhere. (laughs) <laughs> as part of who we are as people in the earth but by faith so it says now it is evident that no person is justified declared righteous or brought into right standing with god through the law you say well i broke the law before but now i'm going to keep it no it doesn't work that way for the scripture says the man is the man in right standing with god the just the righteous shall live by and out of faith and he who through and by faith is declared righteous, as in right standing with God, he shall live. So by our faith, we believe we're made righteous because Jesus kept the law. See, the covenant is between God and Jesus. And I keep saying that hoping that you're going to hear it maybe this, the right way this time. Or we're all going to hear it one more time and then we're going to get it. The covenant isn't, the new covenant isn't with God and man, because we could break it if we didn't keep the law. It's with God and Jesus, and Jesus fulfilled the law. He didn't come to do away with it. He came to fulfill it. That means he lived out, keeping every part of the law, every part of the law. He did not stumble in the law. He kept the law. He was perfectly lawful, yet he surrendered that and took upon himself the unrighteousness and the lawlessness in all of us. So he, by faith, had to believe he was unrighteous. Yeah, think about that. Just like we have to believe we're righteous, Jesus had to believe he was unrighteous. In order for him to go to the cross bearing our sins, he did it by faith because he didn't break the law. He was innocent. There was nothing that could be held against him. He could have left this earth, went right to heaven, and never had a problem. But that's not the plan. The plan was that he would take our unrighteousness, and he would be the sacrifice for it. So, when we uh, put this all in perspective, we're realizing that Jesus had a mission here, and that mission was to live a perfect life, be the sample son, but then trade it all in, for the unrighteousness that all of us committed. So, in Hebrews 10.38, it says, But the just shall live by faith. My righteous servant shall live by his conviction, respecting man's relationship to God and divine things, and holy fervor born of faith, and conjoined with it. And if he draws back and shrinks in fear, my soul has no delight or pleasure in him. So you can't draw back. See, activating faith, believing and using faith, you must press forward, press forward. You can't draw back. You can't draw back. You can't come back. You can't say, well, maybe, I, maybe I'm maybe i not right. Maybe God, maybe I'm not going to get blessed. Maybe, Maybe it's not going to work for me. You can't do that. You got to press forward, press forward, always pressing forward. so the just shall live by faith. so when something goes wrong and it comes at us, we have to call we have to have that second motion or press back, press back. We must come back with the word of God and say no. by faith I believe I receive by faith I have been redeemed, I have been redeemed from the curse that's attached to the breaking of the law, because I have accepted the righteousness that was meant for Jesus. Do we all believe Jesus was righteous? Do we believe that? Well, he's giving it to you and to me. He's giving it to you. So we now, by faith, take it. Take it. If you don't take it, you won't have it. <clears throat> so here in um, in Matthew seventeen twenty-eight. Um, we're going to talk about something entirely different but it's all about doing what you're supposed to do at the same time using faith to do it not allowing your conscious mind to be tricked into thinking that you're not worthy or you're not uh, able to help God and God can't use you and you're just nothing that's what Satan wants you to think and if he can get you to say those things he, that's his goal. His mission is he's got to get you to believe it and say it. You see, And that's a good question right there. What do you believe? What do you believe about yourself? Because, remember, the Bible says whatever two or more agree is a touching anything. And he wants us to start believing what we agree on. But what do you believe about yourself? Do you believe you are worthy? Do you, have you been redeemed? Have you accepted Jesus? Do you believe that because of accepting Jesus, you have been redeemed, that you have been set free? Because if you don't believe it, then you fall back into the trap of thinking you're nothing. You're not worth anything. Yet, God thought you were worth enough that he sent his only son into the earth. John 3.3, God so loved the world that he sent his only son to redeem it, to get it back. Remember, he lost you. God lost you in the beginning through Adam. And God's goal is to get you entirely back. He won't stop. He won't quit. He's not a quitter. And he knows the beginning from the end. He knows the end because he created all the elements that create the end. So he knows what's going to happen because he has agreed it will. So here's, here's, here's uh, keeping the law and certain things that we all need to remember. In Matthew seventeen twenty-eight, it says, when they arrived at Capernaum, uh, and that is the town that Jesus lived in, the collectors of the half shekel, the temple tax, they called it, went up to Peter and said, does not your teacher pay half shekel, or the tax, don't you, does not your teacher pay the tax? We think he's got a lot of money, people are donating to him, you know, I think he should pay tax. I guess he didn't have a 501 c you think? He answered and said, yes. And when he came home, Jesus spoke to him about it. First saying, what do you think, Simon? What do you think, Simon? Should we pay tax? <laughs> Can you imagine coming back to Jesus and saying, a right, guy stopped me today and wants to know if you're going to pay tax. And Jesus says, well, what do you think? Should we pay it? And Simon says, Um well, uh, what do you th- he says, what do, you sa- what do you think, Simon? From whom do earthly rulers collect duties or tribute? From their own sons and from others, not of their own family. Wow, so they don't collect it from their own family as tax collectors. They just collect it from everybody else. That sounds like a good deal. Maybe we should all start a tax collecting business. But you don't collect it from yourself. You don't collect it from anybody in your family. You just collect it from other people and their families. What kind of deal is that? But anyway, so Jesus knew it wasn't just, but he still nevertheless, he's asking Peter. However, in order not to give offense and cause them to stumble, that is, cause them to judge unfavorably or unjustly, right? Go down to the sea, throw in a hook. Mr. Fisherman, Peter, and take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find there a shekel. Take it and give it to them to pay the temple tax for me and for you. So a half shekel, half tax, right? Half shekel tax, or tax tax for the you know the local group there. Okay? There's a whole shekel. Give it to them for both of us. Now, Originally, when Jesus met Peter in the boat and he told him to push out and uh, and and get you know put the nets in and get more fish, Peter resisted that. He did it, but he only put out one net and it was an old one. And he learned his lesson that day because that day when he caught all those fish, he probably caught more fish in an hour uh, than they caught all year. He made more money off that load. It probably was six months to a year's worth of money. So that's, that's important to know. This time he didn't question him at all. Throw in a hook, catch the first fish. That, th- that means there must have been a second fish, a third fish, fourth, fifth, so on, because the first fish, get the first fish and take the shekel out of his mouth. Now here comes a fish with a shekel in his mouth. How does that work? How did Jesus know what to do, what to say, and how to get that shekel in that fish's mouth? But... Peter didn't. He doesn't say he argued with him. He said, um, "Take it and give it to pay pay the tax." So he goes down, goes fishing, and catches the first fish. Looks in the mouth. Sure enough, there's a shekel, and he takes care of business. Jesus said, "It may not be fair what they're proposing, but in order not to cause a problem, in order for us not to be a problem there, let's just go ahead and pay the tax." And And you don't have to work for it other than go fishing, which is what you like to do anyway. So go do what you like to do, and I'm going to supply the shekel. Pretty neat stuff. But Peter had to actually take the pole, go and fish. Now, that was his act of faith, because he no longer questioned Jesus on the fishing thing. One of the things Peter said in the beginning when he caught all those fish, he said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man, Lord. And the reason he said that was simply because he if somebody came to you right now and told you to do something, and the amount of money you made in in the last year, you made in one day because of what they told you to do, you'd think that person was pretty smart, right? And you wouldn't question them again. So they said, look, last year, say you made $100,000, and that might be way much, but say you made 100000 and somebody comes to you today and says, look, if you do this, this and this today, you're going to see you'll make $100,000 in one day. Now, you know, you're thinking to yourself, look, it took me a whole year to make 50000 or or $100,000. you are telling me I can make it in one hour or one day if I just go here and fish here? And that's exactly what Jesus did to Peter. And Peter got shook up. He said, man, I know how tough it is out there. I know how hard it is to make $100,000 or whatever it was at the time. He made a lot of money. He made a whole year's worth of money at least, if not more, in one hour. And then <clears throat> when he told him to go the second time, he didn't question it. He said, man, this guy knows his fish. I'm going to go. I am going to. can't wait to see that first fish. I don't know what he did with the others. Maybe there was gold in the others too. Who knows? We don't know the answer to that. We just know that he took the money out of the first fish and went and paid their taxes. So that's pretty pretty cool stuff. Now, I'm going to jump over to the book of acts because we're talking about using faith and we're talking about feeling good enough to use it. Feeling righteous enough, you know, and that was what we talked about a little while ago that you know, if you don't feel righteous, we traded that in when we we traded our unrighteousness for our righteousness when we when we uh, accepted Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean everybody acts right, and that doesn't mean they do everything uh, feeling righteous all the time or feeling strong or bold all the time, but we ought to. That is the plan God has for us. But over here in Acts chapter 3, it says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. Now remember, this is after Jesus okay, had left the planet, and returned, and, and these guys are pretty empowered with the anointing. They're pretty blessed by what Jesus now has demonstrated. And the whole thing is a demonstration. But they're going up to the uh, the temple, the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, three o'clock in the afternoon, that's what time it was, <clears throat> when a certain man crippled from birth. So there's a man crippled from birth, and he's uh, sitting or no, I'm sorry, it was being carried along and laid each day at the gate of the temple. Now, each day means he's probably been sitting there for a long time, every day. And uh, every day somebody carries him, he was probably there when Jesus was there. This guy sitting at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, so that he might beg for charitable gifts from those who entered the temple. That was his day's work. He'd just sit there and say, you know, could you help me? You know, I can't imagine doing that, but I know people do. Sometimes you see people on the street with signs saying, I need help for today. What do you do for them? You know, do we do anything for them or do we just go the other way? I know, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes you don't feel like doing anything because it's just, I don't want to deal with that today. But God got the, the the nerve it takes to do that and and we've been programmed also to believe that probably they're going to use the money wrong or do buy something they shouldn't be buying right we don't know that and we really don't know that but anyway so peter so when peter saw peter when he saw peter and john about to go in to the temple he asked to ask them to give him a gift. Now, why, why do you think that was? You think he, they, he saw, that crippled fella saw them with Jesus every day coming in and probably knew, probably Jesus was instructed, instructing um, Judas or whoever was the treasurer to give him money every time he went in because Jesus was always helping people. And you say, well, why didn't he heal them? Well, maybe he didn't ask. Maybe he didn't ask for the healing or believe for the healing. We don't know the circumstances. But I do know that he probably spotted um, Peter and and John and figured, oh boy, they're going to give me money, just like Jesus always did. And then he asked them to give him a gift, and Peter directed his gaze intently at him. And so did John. And John said, look at us. Now, could you imagine you know, right in the middle of everything, in the middle of the street, broad daylight. He says, look at us. Just like that, intently. And uh, and then the man paid attention to them. He just wasn't putting his cup out there, expecting that he was going to get something from them. But Peter said, silver and gold, which is money, I do not have. But what I do have... I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. You ever done that? Can you imagine doing that? Could you imagine walking up to somebody and, and, uh, and saying, what I'm going to give you right now is what you really want. Get up and walk. And obviously it was done in a very bold fashion. Because the next, st- the next sentence says, then he took hold of the man's right hand with a firm grip, grabbed him, and ro- pulled, started pulling him up. Now he had a choice. The guy could have pulled back and said, No, 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 you don't understand. I'm, I'm crippled. But that's not what happened. And he raised him up, and at once his feet and ankle bones became strong and steady. See, there was an act of faith. The man was grabbed by his right arm very firmly and strong by either Peter or John, not sure who it was, and he started pulling him up. He didn't resist. He went with it, and he got up. And when he got up, his ankle bones became strong and steady. That's the act of faith That's how faith releases the answer to prayer. And then, leaping forth, he stood and began to walk. And he went into the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Now, can you even imagine all the people in the temple walking by this guy every day, And he is sitting out there going, please help me, please help me, I can't walk. And they see him carried in and they see him carried out. And yet he's now walking in, walking in with Peter and John. Can you imagine what everyone was thinking? And all the people saw him walking about and praising God. And they recognized him as the man who usually sat begging for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement, bewilderment over what had just occurred to him. Now, while he firmly clung to Peter and John, he was still hanging on to them, sat, um, Firmly sat at the people, uh, all the people in utmost amazement ran together and crowded around them in the covered porch. Walk called Solomon's, oh, Solomon's walk, I'm sorry. In the covered porch called Solomon's walk. And there he is walking. And Peter, seeing it, answered the people, "You, You men of Israel, why are you so surprised? And wondering at this, why do you keep staring at us as though our our own power, our, our piety, we have made this man able to walk? If the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the forefathers, has glorified his servant, Son Jesus, whom you indeed deliver up to be dead, to be killed, and he's the one who rose him up, in the power of Jesus. We were talking about the man sitting at the temple gate and and how Peter and John spoke to him and sternly spoke to him and how he grabbed a hold of him and picked him up and and the man got up and walked. And then everybody inside the temple that saw this fellow sitting there for probably years, I don't know how long, but they were all crowding around. They were all crowding around him and they were saying, how'd this happen? I mean, this is a big deal we watched this man carried in and carried out and then peter and john say, what are you looking so amazed about you know jesus the one you crucified you know and the one you delivered up and denied and rejected and disowned in the presence of pilate when he had yet determined to let him go and you guys still wanted him murdered on the cross but you denied and rejected and disowned the pure and the holy the just and the blameless one and demanded the pardon of a murderer, right, to be granted to you, but you killed the very source, the author of life, whom God raised from the dead, and to this we are witnesses, meaning John and, 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 and Peter, right? And his name, through by faith in his name, has made this man whom you see and recognized well and strong. Yes, the faith which is through and by him. Jesus has given the man this perfect soundness of body before all of you. So what is he saying? It's through the faith in his name. See, Jesus did what you and I can't do or wouldn't do. It's not by us just having faith. It's having faith in his name. And the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue confess, Jesus gave you and I the power of attorney to use his name. Do you act like that? Do we act like that? We've got to act more boldly. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, be made whole. You know, somebody has a cold or something going on in their body, pray over them in the name. Invoke the name of the one who was blameless, the one who was the one above every other name, in the name of Jesus the Christ. See, the, the more you elevate that name, the more, it, more power that's available to you and I when we use it. And that's why when you lift him up, he lifts us up. But yet, so many people use still use his name in vain. You hear them when they, they don't even know what they're doing. They don't—they're not doing it because they think they're doing something that's hurting him. But they just do it because it somehow, when they were younger, it got them recognition for being the best vulgar person. I don't know, but we have to respect that name. That name. That name is the most powerful force in the universe. And if our father gave us the use of that name, and if you walk into a a bank or into somewhere and you say, my father's name is backing me on this project, the bank, looking at your father's record, will say, absolutely, go right through. I remember hearing the story from one of the preachers, I forget who it was, That told the story about Oral Roberts' son who was in the service and came out. And I don't know if he needed to buy a car or what he needed to buy, but he went into the bank to get a loan. And they said, well, son, you know, you're not working yet. You know, you're going to get a job and all that, but we just the bank can't just loan you the money for a car. Well, he neglected to tell them that Oral Roberts was his father. And when he did finally get around to saying that, the banker said, well, why didn't you say so? Come right in. No problem. You couldn't get it on your own name. But when you're using the name of your father, in this case, our heavenly father, the earth will yield the crop to you and the circumstances will change because we're using his name, the name, the name that's above every name, whether it's a cold, cancer, sickness, whatever. Sure, we got to fight. A little bit mentally. But no weapon formed against us can prosper, for our righteousness is of the Lord. But whatever we do will prosper. But we are trees planted by the rivers of living water. What are the rivers of living water? The Word of God. Are you reading the Word of God? Are you taking the time to read it? The Old Testament and the New Testament. Just read a chapter a day. It will enlighten you and ask the Lord for revelation knowledge as you read it. Now, here in Matthew 28, it says Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed and made appointments and had made an appointment with them. And when they saw him, they fell down and worshipped him. But some doubted. Jesus approached, and breaking the silence, said to them, All authority, all power of rule in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So I'm going to go back and read this again. This is the really, really important. Matthew 28. This is the Amplified Bible. That's why it sounds a little different But sometimes it's good to read this. Then you go back and read the other versions and you put it all together. Now the 11 disciples, not 12, something happened to one of them, right? The 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed. So Jesus gave them a direction. I want to meet you in the mountains. Made an appointment with them. Told them when to go. Pretty cool. How'd you like to have an appointment made by Jesus. And when they saw up, they fell down and they worshipped him. But some still doubted. Can you imagine? You're standing and going, I must be hallucinating. This can't be real. We saw you crucified. It can't be real. And Jesus approached and said, he broke the silence, and he said to them, all authority, now listen, all authority All power of rule in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I kept the covenant. I fulfilled the covenant. The old covenant, the law, was fulfilled by me. And everything, the power on this earth that Lucifer took from Adam, the power, all power, all authority, all of it was given to me. Lucifer is no longer the only one with the power over earth at all. I have it. I have it over him. I took it back. I went into the pit of hell and I beat him and I rose up. Go then and make disciples of all the nations, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you all the days, perpetually, uniformly, and on every occasion, to the very, very close and consumption of the age. That's you and me. That's all of us. Jesus is with us. Now, we've got to start believing this stuff, not just reading it, We've got to start believing it and acting like it. And that is the message that God wants us to get in being all in with Him. You know, being all in, what does it mean? It means not backing out, not being fearful, not running the opposite way. Jesus said all authority was given to Him. And then he turns around and says, "And I give it to you. Here are the keys to the kingdom. I went in, and I got the. I won the fight. I got the trophy. I'm going to give it to you. You take that, and wherever you take that, my power will be with you. My authority. They will grant you authority. The earth." will give you full authority over every circumstance and situation that you come up against because of my name you're not doing it don't think you're doing it don't think you got to wait till you get it right don't think you got to wait till you feel better don't think you got to wait till you're not no longer sinning at all they're all tricks of the devil to stop you from believing that the name was granting you the power You take that name, you take that name, and you apply it to every circumstance. And then you stand, knowing that God's name will yield the results. So, sowing and reaping in the earth. You know that if you sow, you reap. We've talked about that. But what if you're sowing in the name of Jesus? Does it come faster? If you believe in that name... Fully that all authority is in that name and you sow In the name of Jesus and for the cause of Jesus how much faster does something grow? I believe it's pretty darn quick Now I'm going to read from the from Acts chapter 9 And this is a, a pretty amazing turnaround story because it's uh, meanwhile Saul you know, who became Paul, but Saul, still drawing his breath hard from threatening and murderous desire against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. Now Saul, man, he was just really against Jesus. He was out to kill and murder anything or anybody that proclaimed Jesus. He was out to get him, and requested of him letters to the synagogues at Damascus, authorizing him so that if he found any men or women belonging to the way of life as determined by the faith in Jesus Christ, he might bring them bound with chains to Jerusalem. So he goes to the head guy and he says, I need a letter giving me the power to do this, that wherever I find anybody who's talking about Jesus... I have the full authority to bring him back to Jerusalem. Now, as he traveled on, he came near to Damascus. Now, this guy was really, really focused on killing Christians. And uh, God decided he was going to intervene because he needed to, he needed to stop this guy. And when God needs to stop somebody, he's going to stop them. And that that is usually what that means is they're about to meet Jesus face to face. I don't know if you've ever come across anybody that absolutely refuses to accept the Lord and is vehemently against him, but they're the person to pray for because God probably has a plan for them and he can turn them around. They can use all that same passion to further the kingdom of God. But anyway, so as he traveled, he came near to Damascus and suddenly suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Not just at him, but right around him. Could you imagine a a circle of light just flashing around you, right? And this is a tough guy. This is a guy that's killing Christians. He's murdering them. He's right there on the front line. Matter of fact, he is the front line. And as as the light circled around him, He fell to the ground. Then he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you harassing, troubling, and molesting me? And Saul said, who are you? Imagine that. (laughs) Saul said, who are you? (coughs) Excuse me. Lord. That was the pretty fast conversion He hates Christians, and he falls on his face, and he says, Who are you, Lord? He immediately calls Lord. What do you desire me to do? The Lord said to him, But arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. So he didn't give him an exact answer. But he sent him into the city. The men who were accompanying him were unable to speak for terror; they were silenced. Their mouth—they saw it, they saw what happened, but they couldn't speak. Hearing the voice, but seeing no one—pretty amazing. Then Saul got up from the ground, but though, but though his eyes were opened, he could not—he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. So the brightness of the light caused him not to be able to see anything, but he was led by the men that were with him that also saw the experience into, into brought him into Damascus. And he was unable to see for three days. That was a pretty bright light, you think? And three days this man cannot see and neither ate or drank anything so now he's in a fasting mode he's saying to himself what what did I do what is going on he realized something big was happening now there was in Damascus a disciple named Ananias now the Lord said to him in a vision Ananias and he answered here I am Lord and appeared to him in a vision and he said here I am Lord and the Lord said to him get up And go to the street called Straight and ask at the house of Judas for a man of Tarsus named Saul. (coughs) Excuse me. For behold, he's praying there. And as he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias, enter and lay your hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias wasn't crazy, he wasn't stupid. He said, he answered the Lord, I've heard many things and many people tell about this man, especially how much evil and what great suffering he has brought on your saints in Jerusalem. You're asking me to go to the man who wants to kill and has a letter that says I can. he can take me back as a captive because I, I'm a follower of Jesus? You want me to go there to him? That's pretty, pretty amazing stuff. So you're asking me to do this and we know that this is a guy that has the authority from the high priest to put me in chains and you know and anybody else that calls upon your name and you're asking me to go there but the lord said to him go for this man is chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the gentiles and the kings and the descendants of israel now do you realize if you're not a jew Uh, If you were a Gentile who accepted Jesus and got grafted in, it's probably because of this event that Paul, Saul became Paul. And without him doing this and going through this, you and I wouldn't have come to where we are, perhaps. Now, we know God could have done something else, but this is the road he chose. So it's something to seriously consider. Uh, the Lord said, uh, he's my instrument and go and I will make clear to him how much he will be affected, afflicted and much endure and suffer in my name's sake, for my name's sake. <clears throat> So Ananias left and went into the house. He laid his hands on Saul and Saul said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you along the way by which you came here has sent me that you may recover your sight and be filled with the Holy spirit and instantly something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he recovered his sight. Then he arose and was baptized. Pretty amazing. So God takes the worst man the one who was the biggest threat. And he turns him into Paul, who, because of him, God knows only how many people are now following Jesus. So what does that tell us? The worst person can be the best one for Jesus. I know right now, A lot of people are still really not sure about our president. And yet I will tell you that he has changed. He's having prayer meetings weekly at the White House. No other president has ever before him gone that road. And regardless of whatever you think he's done in the past, be quick to forgive that your heavenly father may forgive you. For with the same measure you use as judgment, it will be used on you. Here's Paul. He was the worst of the worst. He was killing anyone who said the name of Jesus. All of us would have been arrested and put in jail or killed for talking about Jesus. And yet he is the one God chose. And if God chooses somebody, like he has with this president, Better pick the right side that's all I'm going to say you don't want to be against God period the end I don't care about your politics I care about the word of God and I care about hearing from the Holy Spirit God has a plan God has a plan and that plan is to deliver each one of us and to deliver us into his kingdom show us how it works and, um, and I think that one of the things each one of us needs to think about is how are we using God's Word each day in our life. Last week we talked about how Adam didn't have to toil. Are you toiling? One of the things about sowing and reaping, when you sow something into God's kingdom, it is God's Word, His covenant in His Word, that promise it'll grow. Because what you sow, you reap. Mark 4.11, the sower sows the Word. That is, a, that is a not even a promise. That's a covenant. That's the way the law is set up on this earth. And you can say, I don't know if I believe the law will work on my behalf. And, you know, I will say to you, do you believe in gravity? Well, of course, gravity is pressing down, and if I drop a book, it's going to fall to the ground. 14.7 pounds per square inch is pressing on us. Gravity. You didn't have to put on a gravity belt today, so you didn't float off the earth, and all the little kids that are under a certain age didn't have to put on any kind of special gravity equipment. God made this earth and everything in it, and he's done it for his glory. Now, we need to, by faith, believe it. Take his word, activate it, use it. We don't, he's not asking you, uh, that I know of, to give your life today, as some people would have had to back then. But he is acting, asking you to be fully born again, to become bold in knowing that you are set free from the evil of this present world. You know, our favorite psalm, Psalm 91, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge, He is my fortress. In Him I trust. Surely He will deliver me from the snare of the fowler and from His perilous pestilence He shall cover me under his feathers, and under his wings I shall take refuge. His truth is my shield and my buckler, and I shall not be afraid of the terror that comes by night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand might fall at my side, ten thousand at my right, but it shall not come near me. Only with my eyes shall I look and see the reward of the wicked. For I have made the Lord God, even the Most High, my habitation. Therefore, no evil will befall me, neither shall any plague come near my dwelling. For God has given his angels charge over me, that they should bear me up in their hands, lest I dash my foot against a stone. I shall tread upon the lion and the cobra the young lion and the serpent, I will trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, saith the Lord, therefore I will deliver him. He will call upon me and I will answer him because he has known my name. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Pretty amazing stuff. Long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation the name of the lord the name of jesus in the past two weeks we talked about adam not having to work everything happening working lucifer stealing that power away the glory came off god came back with his glory into the earth and then with the law caused man to understand that by the law He fell short and had to have a a blood sacrifice of animals in order to get free of the curse. Then sending his perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God, Jesus. Jesus comes into the world, becomes the fulfillment of the law, and he becomes the perfect sacrifice for you and I. So that when we accept him and we take his name, Take that name very solemnly and very seriously. And when we apply it to our life in the name of Jesus, in the name that's above every name, in the name I pray. I pray for this. I pray for that. But in that name, I invoke the name and the full authority and power that is placed in that name in my life today. It's not based on me. It's not based on what I did or didn't do it's only based on my ability to use the name of Jesus are you using it are you applying it and don't let Lucifer tell you to do anything other than that don't let Lucifer tell you that it's not working allow patience to have its perfect work And we'll lack nothing. Excuse me. We're out of time on this program. And we'll be back again next week. I hope you're listening to some of these. Invite someone to listen. It's available online as well. So thanks for joining us. And we'll see you on the next program of All In.